Support for WRFA is brought to you by Quadrant Biosciences, now providing no-cost COVID testing in Chautauqua County. Quadrant Biosciences has partnered with Chautauqua County to provide free COVID testing. For more information on how to schedule an appointment, visit quadrantbiosciences.com slash COVID testing. Support for WRFA is also brought to you by Southern Chautauqua Federal Credit Union. Southern Chautauqua Federal Credit Union provides credit union membership to people who live, work, worship, attend school, do business, and any other entities within Chautauqua County. For more information, including how to become a member, call or text 716-665-7000 or visit them on the web at 665-7000.com. Governor Kathy Hochul gave her first State of the State address on January 5th, laying out her plans for the coming year and beyond. We spoke with both of our state representatives on their reactions to that address. We'll hear first from State Senator George Perello. We have State Senator George Perello on the line with us today to talk about the very first State of the State address that was given by Governor Kathy Hochul on Wednesday. And uh, wanted to talk to you to get your reaction uh, what you heard at the address and uh, anything you found good and, and if there's anything that caused you concern about what was in the in the body of that address. Well, first of all, it was certainly uh, nice to see, uh, yeah, I guess, a, a change. Uh, you know, as much as I have a lot of differences with Governor Hochul, um, she put forth, a, you know, a bright and positive message. It was a relatively brief um, uh, state of the state address compared with her predecessor, who would drone on for a couple of hours with PowerPoint presentations. You know, she stood up there and just uh, and talked. So I, I appreciated that part of it. Um, what what I was concerned with is there was a lot of there. Were, first of all, there wasn't a lot of meat on the bone. There wasn't a lot of substance. There were some ideas, but the only real specifics uh, that she gave had a lot to do with, you know, massive uh, spending in New York City. You know, she talked about, you know, airports and train stations and rail lines, uh, you know, and, and uh, we already subsidize New York City's MTA, the rapid transit system, to the tune of billions of dollars every year. And, uh, you know, so you know, unfortunately we didn't hear a lot of what we're going to do for upstate New York. Right, and I, I going through the list, I, there were some – projects that were mentioned, you know, north of us in Buffalo area. And what, one of the things Jason Sample and I discussed on uh, Small Things Considered is how many of the projects and or ideas that she was talking about, you know, is the funding going to be coming from that federal infrastructure bill that was passed? Uh, is, this mon- is this federal money? You know, how does this affect the budget? One of the things that she talked about that was kind of a, a big item up there, and it, given you know our times right now, is wanting to increase... Um, Capacity, in a sense, you know, getting more healthcare workers in into the field, you know, giving them wage increases and that kind of stuff. And I wonder, is like, is that something that is going to be that we see funded with? I call it the COVID money, but it's like American Rescue Plan stuff. Well, yeah, and and again, the details have yet to be released. Uh, and uh, but but you know, there's an important point there when it comes to the, there's a couple important points. I mean, in so many ways, you know, with with the Democrats controlling everything in Albany and New York City. You know, they're, they've kind of become the arsonist firefighters. You know, they started the fires, and now they're going to put them out. But I don't trust necessarily that the methods are going to actually be effective. And the healthcare workers is a perfect example of that. We had a shortage of healthcare workers before the pandemic. Then the pandemic came, and these people worked tirelessly. Uh, then uh, the, you know, these uh, you know these mandates without any testing options 
uh, forced the firing of hundreds of, uh, of health care workers across the state. Meanwhile, during this pandemic, in a very political move, uh, the uh, you know the Democrats uh, you know that hold the majority in both the Senate and the Assembly passed the so-called safe staffing bill, which uh, Governor uh, Hochul did sign, and she already had to suspend it. It was supposed to start January first. You know how do you talk about increasing healthcare workforce by twenty percent over the next five years or whatever it might be uh, when you can't even uh, meet the standards that you set in place for January first of twenty twenty two? You know this safe staffing bill it, it was already a, a problem. Before the pandemic, it's even more of a problem now, and uh, they've already had to retreat, if you will, uh, on that safe staffing bill. So uh, I, I question their commitment uh, because, really, this is about she's talking about removing barriers to bringing uh, people in from out of state and, and other countries. Well, what we really should be doing is is uh, moving the barriers for the people in, in New York that actually want to be in the healthcare business. Mm-hmm. In terms of other ideas that she presented, was there anything you saw in there that you could? feel like you might be able to come to a compromise on or that you said you would be on board with trying to help move forward? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, certainly there's a lot of issues, but she did talk about things uh, that I could support. Uh, broadband is a huge issue. Um, but, uh, you know, she talked about infusing another billion dollars. But really, and this is the part where I think that there could be some compromises, you know, and, I've, and I've talked with her and her people about this, we need to remove the state barriers that are the ones that are actually killing broadband expansion across New York State. Uh, I've been talking about for, for the past two years this um, onerous uh, tax on fiber optic cable, uh, per, literally per foot, uh, when you're going across a New York State DOT right-of-way, which is pretty much you know any major road in New York State. Uh, it's killing projects. It's scaling projects back, and uh, it was something that, w- that was just put in place at the beginning of 2020. Uh, you remove that uh, fee, and you'll see um, fiber optic uh, going across New York State at a much faster pace because it'll be much more affordable. The tax is actually higher uh, per foot than what it costs to actually run the fiber optic cable. <clears throat> we passed a bill, a bipartisan bill, uh, that I was a co-sponsor of uh, to address uh, these exorbitant fees that utility companies are charging uh, to run fiber optic cable on their poles. They went from being roughly $2,000, $2,500 per pole to over $10,000. Uh, they're extorting money from these uh, uh, from from these broadband companies to try to you know suck up as much of this uh, subsidies uh, the, the, the you know, state and federal subsidies that are out there. Uh, that bill is still sitting on her desk yet to be signed. Um, and, and the third thing is there are a lot of um, unnecessary um, fees on resurveying areas uh, that have already been surveyed before they can actually run fiber optic cable. So, you know, if she did those three things, uh, we, we wouldn't need to infuse more money into it, more taxpayer money. We, we, we would free up, you know, the, the market that's already there to expand in, into areas, particularly in rural upstate New York. So I can get behind the, the idea, but it's the it's the method in which we're going to do it that, we're, that, that I think needs to be negotiated. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of anything, did she propose something or anything that you were found disappointing or concerning? Absolutely. I, I think uh, this continued push to blanket uh, upstate New York with uh, you, you know, these boondoggle green energy projects. Uh, she's talking about offshore wind, which could have a devastating impact uh, on our Great Lakes, Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Um, you know, this, this is, again, this is this irresponsible push. Uh, the reality is is that upstate New York is already 
almost 100% uh, clean and green uh, between the renewables we already have and the, and the, the uh, abundant hydroelectric power that, that we have. Uh, the real issue is New York City. So uh, we don't have the proper infrastructure in place. Uh, our, uh, you know, they keep talking about uh, trying to upgrade our, our failing electric grid, uh, but instead of doing that, we're going to pour more money into uh, very expensive, inefficient uh, things like offshore wind. So that's uh, very concerning. I think every everyone, particularly here in Western New York, should be very concerned about the idea. You know, she talked about um, you know growing up in in uh, you know the uh, southern part of, of Buffalo, Lackawanna, and uh, you know all of the uh, pollution and and things that were dumped into into Lake Erie when she was a kid. And now we're talking about uh, digging into the uh, you know the bottom of Lake Erie and stirring up all of that toxic mess that's been covered up over the last several decades. So it's just, it's not a good plan. It's very concerning to me. And it's just bowing uh, to essentially uh, the, the radical special interests and the people that will profit from them uh, instead of looking at common sense solutions to try to you know, responsibly transition away from fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you advocated and were and was were a co-sponsor on last year was the Nurse in New York program, which finally was uh, we saw that signed. I think I think at the end of December, and that was mentioned in her book that she wants to continue that program along with other initiatives for farmers. Uh, how do you feel the her state of state address um, address the agricultural community? Well, she certainly recognized the, the struggle of agriculture industry. And, yes, I'm very proud. You know, we actually it was the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, I was down in New York City uh, with her and, uh, you know, my, my fellow sponsors of the bill, uh, and uh, we did sign that program. It makes it a permanent and recurring program. Uh, it was one of the top priorities for the New York Farm Bureau, uh, and I'm glad that, um, you know, that she did sign that bill essentially as is. Um, but when you start talking about where are the, where right now, where are the, stress points for farmers. The number one right now is this uh, lowering of the overtime threshold. That's, you know, got them on pins and needles, and she made no mention of that. Right now, um, you know, the fate, literally the fate of, of farming in New York, particularly dairy farming, uh, is hanging, is in the hands of three unelected members of this wage board that was created when they passed this uh, farm labor bill a couple of years ago. They delayed their decision last year. They delayed it again this year. But now we are at he- having hearings. I was actually, I actually testified uh, at the hearing on Tuesday, uh, and uh, and spoke about the the, the uncertainty uh, this is creating. And, and and farmers and farm workers uh, pretty much unanimously agreed that uh, uh, this is going to be extremely bad, a death knell actually for agriculture in New York State. And she didn't mention anything about that. She's taken no action to say, you know what, this is not the time. Well, with uh, with everything that's going on, uh, with uh, you know the, the challenges we faced with the pandemic, this is not the time to put more strain on our farmers. So once again, it's the arsonist firefighter scenario. They created this problem, and now they're going to try to to find a bandaid to put on it. Uh, and I and I'm really concerned about how the future of, of agriculture in New York if this isn't directly addressed. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead, so what is next now? We've heard this address. And then we anticipate we'll also hear a budget coming out. So what is next for for you as our representative and uh, for the Republicans and Democrats in the legislature? Well, we actually, my, myself and my Republican colleagues, put forth a Take Back New York strategy. It's a, it's a series of initiatives and, and, uh, and legislation that we believe we need uh, to make New York safe uh, and uh, business friendly and ultimately to stop the, uh, uh, the out-migration of people. 
New York again uh, led the nation, unfortunately, in uh, in people leaving New York State. In in a, in a one year period, we lost over three hundred thousand people. So uh, that has to be stopped. You know, the, you know the uh, the people in charge, the ruling class, can talk about uh, all the wonderful things that they think that their programs are doing, but the reality is, people are voting with their feet. Um, we have a very uh, disturbing trend in New York City. Uh, with uh, with public safety across New York State, I mean, you know, Rochester, New York, is now more more violent uh, per capita uh, than than Chicago. So, but in New York, you have a, a new district attorney that was just elected uh, that's basically saying we're not going to put uh, we're not going to put people in jail anymore for pretty much any reason, uh, and um, that's going to make New York City uh, go uh, backwards uh, to the, the 1970s and beyond uh, when it comes to uh, you know the the, the lack of, of public safety. And that's bad for everyone in New York, but it also is a signal that, uh, you know, with only one party running everything from every major city uh, in uh, in New York State uh, to, to uh, the state legislature and, and the governor's mansion, uh, that New York is headed in the wrong direction. And uh, that's just not rhetoric. You know, that's uh, if you look at the, the polls uh, that are out there recently, most New Yorkers feel like New York is going in the wrong direction. So we need to address that. And uh, myself and my colleagues do have a plan to address that. And it has to start with going back to common sense public safety you know, over pandering to political special interests. And mm-hmm. in, assuming that you have unveiled this agenda and public safety and bail reform would be a, a top issue, what are some of the other things that are included in that agenda? Yeah, well, first we we're rolling back the you know these uh, criminal justice reforms that have uh, you know, created spikes in crime. Uh, we're talking about. Uh, what, what can we do to truly help our small businesses by you know, basically uh, unshackling them uh, in so many ways? So the things we talked about, uh, you know, the fact that, for example, our unemployment insurance fund cratered uh, largely because of bad policy and, uh, and knee-jerk reactions uh, to the pandemic. And now you know, we have we, we experienced billions, untold billions of dollars in fraud in our unemployment insurance fund, which, by the way, is not funded by taxpayers, but it's funded largely by small businesses. Uh, through their unemployment insurance payments, which, you know, small businesses like mine, uh, where we've seen doubling and tripling of our unemployment insurance costs. Uh, these are the kind of things that are, that are forcing people, whether they're small business owners or families, to just reconsider being in New York. You know, I, I field phone calls uh, and messages and emails from people all the time that are saying, look, I, I've had enough, uh, you know, and, and I try to tell them, give us, uh, give us more time uh, and, and support our agenda we can turn things around, but it's you know it's it's a it's a battle that has to be fought uh, on every front, and and ultimately we need to pe- we need people to to look at and say to themselves, are you better off than you were three years ago? Because three years ago is when you know Democrats took control of the uh, of, of the Senate, and then literally one party ruled throughout the entire state. And uh, what what has been the result in the last three years? Do you feel like you're better off? And I think if people are honest with themselves, the answer is no. We can do something about that. We can change that, and it has to start with people recognizing the fact that uh, these harmful, uh, politically driven uh, agendas uh, are not really benefiting anyone. If you're a working class family, uh, you know, if you're a member of law enforcement, health care, small business owner, uh, property owners who have been totally devastated by, by, by this uh, rent moratorium, um, all those folks need to stand together and say enough is enough. And with you mentioned the rent moratorium, it seems like one of the things that came out of the the state of state address is that the eviction moratorium is going to be allowed to end. 
I, I guess I would say finally, because it has been going on for, I, I, I've even lost track since at least early 2022 yeah. or, and, yeah. uh, or sorry, early 2020. So, um, and it seemed like there are some initiatives being brought forward. Do you find that, you know, the suggestions that Governor Hochul has made in terms of how to combat, you know, the, the, what homeowners are experiencing or, and, and renters and such is going to be helpful? Well, you know, we, we already have, uh, we're already upside down in the rental assistance program. But even though the rent moratorium is coming to an end, um, you know, keep in mind that anyone who took this uh, assistance, the, you know, the, the $2 billion in federal money uh, that was distributed uh, to, to renters and to property owners, you know, th- those property owners are, are now bound by that, by taking that money uh, to not evict people for another year. And the money they received was for back rent. So now these same people, even though the moratorium has come to an end, you know, could be uh, you know, living uh, without paying their rent uh, and, not, and, not, and not being evicted for another six, eight, nine months, a year uh, because of the, uh, the agreement of accepting the, the, the money to, for, for the past rent, not even towards the future rent. So we're still creating an issue. And this is why... You know, overall, New York State is in such uh, bad shape, in my opinion. You look at um, New York State still has one of the worst unemployment rates in the nation. It's, it's you know, it's far above the national average. Uh, I believe we're second or third out of all 50 states when it comes to our unemployment rate. Yet I don't know a single business that isn't desperate to hire employees. Those two things uh, can't happen together without uh, bad state government policy. So we need to understand that we are encouraging people to stay home to not work. You, you can still quit your job and collect unemployment, even even now to this day in New York State. Um, and uh, uh, and we're basically encouraging people to, to just sit at home and uh, and uh, have no hope for the future. Um, I mean, you, you can, and again, you can see looking at the statistics, young people especially uh, feel hopeless. And uh, we're encouraging that. We're exacerbating that. Uh, we should be encouraging people to go out and think about the future. Um, get a career, get a skill, uh, fill those open positions. These are good-paying jobs out there that are going unfilled uh, because essentially because of, of rhetoric and bad government policy. Is there anything else you'd like to add on uh, the state-to-state address? Well, I will say that um, while I have a lot of concerns about where we are in New York, I do have hope for the future. I do believe that uh, uh, people are, are looking toward a future where we get past this pandemic. We need to start focusing uh, on, on building confidence and hope and, and getting away from the fear, the fear-mongering that goes on. Uh, and I'm hopeful that uh, in her state of the state, she did talk about uh, you know, having a brighter future in New York. Where we differ, likely, is how do we get there. But the bottom line is we need to step forward uh, and we need to let New York State become uh, safer and and more prosperous. And how we get there is going to be the real subject of of debate in this coming session. State Senator George Borello, thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much, Julia. I appreciate it. Assemblyman Andy Goodell shared some of the same concerns as Senator Borello, and we hear his reaction to Hochul State of the State address here. We have State Assemblyman Andy Goodell on the line with us to give his reaction to the State of the State address that was given by Governor Kathy Hochul on, on Wednesday. This was her first State of the State address and had a lot to say in it of a, very, a wide variety of topics. So I'm looking for what was your thoughts on what she had to say? Well, overall, um, I was a little disappointed because it became clear that this was a campaign speech aimed at New York City, 
rather than what we had grown accustomed to in the state of the state message. And um, uh, from a political perspective, that makes great sense because uh, Kathy Hochul is facing a primary challenge from uh, New York City uh, public advocate. And, um, and so her first and foremost mission, in my opinion, was politics rather than policy, and it was reflected in her speech. And so as an example, she talked about the need to invest in New York's infrastructure. She then described several billion-dollar infrastructure projects that she supported for New York City. I mean, they're multi-billion-dollar projects. And then said, well, I haven't forgotten about the rest of the state. Uh, Long Island Expressway, we're coming after your potholes. And I was just shaking my head. Multi-billion-dollar projects for New York City and... In the state of the state, she says she's going to fit, fix potholes in the rest of the state, which should be done as a matter of routine. So her overall message, you know, she touched on a lot of um, issues that I think are important issues, and uh, I'm happy to walk through those. But her, her speech was really a political speech aimed at New York City. And I, I am curious, because you said she did, she did touch on some important issues. What do you think were the ones that struck out for you as ones that you're either glad or, or, or surprised to hear about? Sure. So she said her priorities going into this year are to address COVID, tax reform, economic development, infrastructure challenges, public safety, and affordable housing. And those are all good priorities. Uh, they're priorities that I would agree with. So then when we looked at the details on COVID, she said um, she supports having kids stay in school. And if there's um, an exposure to, to use testing to make sure that kids can stay in school, uh, test to stay. And that's a concept I support because I think it's very important that our kids be in school if they can do so safely. But ironically, um, on the same subject, if you will, she acknowledged that there was a pre-existing shortage of critical care health care workers. And rather than lift her vaccine mandate, which resulted in about 34,000 people resigning or being fired, rather than lift that mandate and replace it with test to stay, which is her suggestion for schools, she instead said, well, what we need to do is offer free tuition for nursing students and other health care workers, and uh, open New York's borders so that residents from other states can more easily come into New York and take jobs that we would otherwise hope New Yorkers would take, and, um, and offer uh, retention bonuses for existing employees. So when I heard that, I said, you know, Governor, you knew there was a pre-existing health care shortage. You implement a mask mandate that was very unpopular. Nearly 30,000 uh, healthcare workers leave or are fired. Why don't you implement test to stay just like you're willing to do for schools? Look at the underlying problem which you created, Governor, and solve that problem. And it's great, I think, that uh, she wants to increase the number of uh, healthcare workers over the next several years. But we have a crisis now, and she helped create that crisis, and she could easily solve that crisis by uh, implementing test to stay not just in schools but in our healthcare facilities as well and 
so throughout, uh, she talked about tax reform, and, and she said uh, she wants to move forward with a middle-class tax cut. I support that. But she said nothing about the fact that New York State currently has the highest tax rate in New York City in the entire nation. No talk about addressing that horrific problem, which is one of the reasons why New York State led the nation last year with over 300,000 people leaving the state. It's just mind-boggling. She talked about the need for economic development. And, of course, when you talk to people who are in manufacturing or in wire employers, they keep telling them the same message over and over. It's very expensive to work in New York State. There's a lot of burdensome regulations, and we need help. Yet her experience so far is to continually sign anti-business mandates and regulations over and over, including the vaccine mandate, which forced private businesses to fire critically needed health care staffs. And so her actions aren't matching the problem. She talked about the need for improving public safety. Again, it's an area that I support. We need to focus on public safety. The crime rate, especially in the urban areas, has gone up dramatically. I mean, the number of murderers and serious crimes. And many experts believe that the dramatic increase in crime was due partly to COVID, but partly due to the fact that New York implemented a catch-and-release policy that eliminated bail for over 400 crimes. And so in New York State, you can commit, you know, a lot of crimes, and the judge can't exercise any discretion, no matter what your criminal record was, no matter how dangerous you are, must release you without bail. And, of course, the examples are overwhelming of the number of people who are charged with one crime, and that very afternoon they're out on the streets again and arrested the following day for committing more crimes. So her idea of public safety is to double down on gun control and tracing illegal guns. Now, New York already has some of the toughest gun control laws in the nation, and those who think that gun control laws will solve that gun violence start from a false premise that violent criminals who use guns are going to follow the law. I mean, it's absurd. The problem is criminals don't follow the law, and so you can have all the laws you want on the books about guns. And what happens, of course, is that criminals buy their guns in New Jersey or in Pennsylvania or have them shipped up or they pick them up from Georgia or South Carolina or other parts of the state. And, yeah, it's illegal to take guns across state lines. They know that. It's also illegal to use a gun in a robbery. They know that, too. And it's illegal to use a gun to kill someone. They know that, too. They're not going to follow the law. And so rather than go back and say, we need to give judges discretion to get violent people who have been arrested off the streets by imposing reasonable bail to make sure they show up again, her focus is to enhance our efforts to trace guns back to the foreign state from whence they came from, which doesn't stop stop anything. It just traces them somewhere else. Um, she talked about affordable housing. Now, again, her focus was on New York City, and she mentioned the ho- homelessness problem in New York City, and she promised to address the New York City um, NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority, which has a horrific record of maintaining public housing. 
And then after criticizing NYCHA for having a horrific record for maintaining public housing, she then proposes to double down by building another 100,000 public housing units, presumably run by NYCHA, the very agency she just got done criticizing. Now, for those of us who are, have a business background, it's no surprise that New York City has a housing crisis because the state legislature, with the support of this governor, uh, support a rent moratorium that went on for uh, about two years, which just devastated small landlords across the state. And that rent moratorium was not limited to poor people or people who were making partial payments or even people that uh, was otherwise justified to have a moratorium. It was a very broad moratorium. And... Um, and in addition, they implemented uh, a new policy that makes it extraordinarily difficult and expensive for landlords to evict someone who's not paying, even without the moratorium in place. So having destroyed the private sector small landlord market, she then turns around and rather than say, yeah, we need to help small landlords get back in the business, we need to recognize that they have to have income in order to maintain their places, Rather than say, hey, if someone's not paying, they've got to move on. They, get, they need to get a, a less expensive apartment. Instead of doing any of those things that address the fundamental issue, she says, we're going to use taxpayer money to create more public housing, knowing that the public housing that we've already created is in horrific condition, and it's grossly mismanaged. So I appreciate the fact that she recognizes the problem with COVID. I'm disappointed she doesn't recognize that a lot of the problems with COVID reflect her lack of leadership and management. I'm glad she recognizes the need for tax reforms. I wish she'd acknowledge it was the Democrat majority in the Senate with the support of the Democrat governor that raised the taxes to the highest level in the nation. I'm glad she supports economic development. So do I. But Let's recognize that you've got to have fertile ground in order to have a fruitful crop. And if you want a fruitful crop of new businesses, especially small businesses, you have to provide a business-friendly environment. I'm glad she's focusing on public safety. That's a real issue. So let's get back to supporting our police, removing dangerous criminals from our communities, making it clear if you commit a crime, you're going to do the time. And, uh, and, you know, let's make our neighborhoods safer. And while I support her um, concern about the fact that the private sector low-income rental market has been devastated, devastated by these one-party Democrat rule, ru- rulings and um, legislation, we need to address the underlying problems, not throw more public money at it. And so as a mixed blessing, uh you know, I support her initiatives, or, or at least her acknowledgement of the problems, but deeply disappointed that there was no recognition or understanding or proposals that focused on the underlying reasons and the underlying causes and solve those problems rather than just throw more money at it, uh, more public money at it. In terms of looking at 
one thing, and I didn't talk about this with um, Senator Borrello, is uh, something that caught my eye just because it has been in the news lately, is that she did propose from an ethics standpoint of getting rid of Jacob, and which is the ethics watchdog group that has been in place, I don't know how many years, but as I, I think I said to uh, Senator Borrello off, off, the, off the air was, I don't know of one group that ever said they thought that Jacob was effective. Did you have any feelings or, or thoughts about her suggestion on what she wants to do to replace that group? <laughs> well, once again, as you point out, everyone has recognized that the Joint Commission on Public Ethics, uh, called Jacob, uh, has been grossly inefficient and ineffective. And one reason why it's been grossly inefficient and ineffective is it was intentionally structured to protect politicians. All the members are appointed by politicians. And you saw that where, uh, for example, the members appointed by Governor Cuomo blocked investigations of Governor Cuomo in the middle of this uh, crisis that we just went through with his ethics issues. And so we know that the Jacob formula is uh, completely ineffective. So when the governor said, yeah, we got to reform Jacob, again, I, like many others, said, we agree. She had no proposal on how to do it. Nothing. And so I'm very anxious to see how we create an independent ethics panel that's not controlled by politicians. And uh, that, that type of approach would have my full support. And there's legislation out there that would accomplish that, that I also support, that would have them appointed, <clears throat> for example, um, using the court system to appoint independent arbitrators, if you will. Um, I would point out, ironically, the Assembly has its own ethics commission, its own ethics uh, committee. And it's um, equal number of Republicans and Democrats. And our Assembly representative, one of them, is Joe Giglio from next door. Does a phenomenal job. And that group operates in a highly um, confidential manner. They use outside legal counsel to do investigations. They investigate every complaint very carefully, and they've done a great job. Then contrast that with Jacob, which has had governor's appointments, uh, legislative appointments. They're all political appointees. They're not highly confidential, and it's been just a disaster. So there's ways to do it. There's ways to have the appointment so that each political party doesn't have a veto, which is important. You've got to eliminate that veto ability by elected officials. And there's ways to get independent people, whether they're appointed by the Court of Appeals, for example, or others. There's a way to get there, and, and, and I support that. So once again, I support the governor's concern. And once again, uh, no real solutions from this governor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So keeping on ethics, one of the other things that she, she came out with before she made her state-of-state address on, on Tuesday when she, she came out with a report saying that she wants to see a constitutional amendment to impose a, a two-term term limit and also to restrict uh, outside um, income for statewide electeds. Uh, was there any thought you had on that or the likelihood of that being passed? Um, <clears throat> of course, the out. The ban on outside income was intended to deal with the governor's book deal, 
Governor Cuomo's book deal, where he was paid $5 million to write a book in the middle of a pandemic, and it turned out he used a lot of state staff and state resources to write it, and there's a lot of concern that in order to sell his books, he hid the nursing home deaths, uh, so it looked like he did much better than he actually did. Um, at the same token, uh, notwithstanding all of its limitations, that type of book deal uh, required the approval of uh, the Joint Commission on Public Ethics. And they gave a conditional approval, conditioned on him not using any state employees or any state time or resources to produce it. And so there's already protections in place. The problem that you had with Como is that he violated those conditions, which ultimately resulted in Jacob um, ordering him to repay the $5 million, uh, as a fine or, uh, or a penalty. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. I don't think there's a lot of objection from any of the legislators to banning that type of outside income altogether and saying, if you want to write a book, which is extraordinarily time-consuming, do it after you're out of office. Don't use, you know, don't, don't be diverted with your attention to writing a book uh, while you're in office. Uh, routine outside income, like a second job, is, is not... Um, an issue at all for any of the statewide elected officials because it's a full-time job. And on the term limits, uh, was that something that you could see supporting? Um, I have mixed feelings on the term limits. Um, in my opinion, if you're elected every four years, as the statewide elected officials are, the voters already have a term limit. It's four years, and you have to run for re-election. And when you run for re-election at the end of your first four years or your second four years, you have to stand on your record. And um, I think it's a mistake to say to the voters, you can elect anyone you want in the entire state to serve as a statewide officer, except the one person who's got eight years of experience in the job. Right? Oh, I, I should say, and accept someone who's um, currently in prison serving a felony. Uh, so I prefer to err on the side of giving voters the option to s select who they want to represent them rather than arbitrarily eliminating certain options. If you look at our four statewide officials, we have, of course, uh, Governor Hochul and the lieutenant governor running for their first term. You have the Attorney General running for her second term, and you have uh, Comptroller DiNapoli running for his, I don't know, third or fourth term. And uh, by all accounts, DiNapoli has done an excellent job, has been very professional and very capable as Comptroller. So I think it's a mistake to arbitrarily throw someone out and, and prohibit the voters from even considering that person for re-election. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to add about the state of the state or what you see as a direction going forward from here? Well, one of the other things that I found interesting, if you will, uh, in the governor's state of the state is um, she talked about uh, public safety and went on to say that what she wants to do is make public funds available so that inmates can go to college for free, uh, 
by expanding the tuition assistance program, and she wants to implement a jails to jobs program. And I support the desire to help inmates reintegrate into society. But I think it would be a better message to say, once you've served your time, we will work with you, just like we work hard with all law-abiding residents, to gain the job skills you need, get the employment skills, and, um, and get the college education you want. And so rather than make uh, jail a, um, a way to get free benefits, more free benefits, I think the better focus is to say, yeah, we'll work with you as you're being discharged so that we can get you into these programs like all other law-abiding residents and help you get focused on the right path. Um, she also talked a little bit about the importance of climate change, and she said she wants to phase out fossil fuels in New York State, which left me wondering, if you convert all of our cars to electric, that'd be uh, 72 terawatts of additional electric generation and transmission required, which is, by the way, more than double the 52 terawatts that we currently produce. The obvious question is, where is all this electricity coming from? And I think the answer is the governor envisions that all the new power plants would be built in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Connecticut and our neighboring states, and that we export New York money to neighboring states because we won't let them be built in our own state, but we, we desperately need the electricity. So hopefully some of these issues will resolve themselves as we go forward. She did produce a, a booklet that's about 200 pages thick. Hopefully that has more details. And as always, you know, I support the broad concerns, very different ideas on how to solve them. And, uh, <laughs> and, and left with that frustration of feeling that the governor and her party, one-party rule in New York, created these massive issues and then want to be reelected in an effort to solve them. It's almost like an arsonist who wants to have you hire him as a firefighter to put out fires. So we'll see where that goes. And uh, certainly um, I'll work with all my colleagues to try to come up with real solutions to help New York State move forward. Assemblyman Goodell, thanks for being on the air with us.